Hallo, ich bin Savannah Sipo und ähm, ich leite jetzt erstmal mit ein paar Worten zu Maya Yim ein. Pädagogin, Aktivistin und Dichterin war die 1960 in Hamburg geborene Maya Yim. In ihren Texten thematisierte sie die verschiedenen Facetten, aber auch Konflikte, die Teil ihrer Identität waren. Teil davon, eine afrodeutsche Frau in einer weißen Mehrheitsgesellschaft zu sein. Sie benennt und analysiert Rassismus und hat in ihren Werken einen kritischen Blick auf die deutsche Geschichte und erlebte Gegenwart. Maya Yim wird zu einer international anerkannten Autorin und ist bis heute eine prägende Stimme für die schwarze Community. Am 9. August 1996 entscheidet sie sich, ihr Leben zu beenden. Blues in Schwarz-Weiß ist der Name des Gesichts, das ich heute vortragen werde. Ebenfalls ist es der Titel ihres ersten veröffentlichten Gedichtbandes. Blues in Schwarz-Weiß von Maya Yim Während noch immer und schon wieder die einen zerstückelt, verteilt und vertrieben werden, die einen, die immer die anderen sind und waren und bleiben sollen, erklären sich die eigentlich anderen noch immer und schon wieder zu den einzig wahren. Erklären uns die eigentlich anderen noch immer und schon wieder den Krieg. Es ist ein Blues in Schwarz-Weiß. Ein Drittel der Welt zertanzt die anderen zwei Drittel. Sie feiern in Weiß, wir trauern in Schwarz. Es ist ein Blues in Schwarz-Weiß. Es ist ein Blues. Das wiedervereinigte Deutschland feiert sich wieder 1990. Ohne ImmigrantInnen, Flüchtlinge, jüdische und schwarze Menschen. Es feiert in intimem Kreis. Es feiert in Weiß. Doch es ist ein Blues in Schwarz-Weiß. Es ist ein Blues. Das vereinigte Deutschland, das vereinigte Europa, die Vereinigten Staaten feiern 1992 500 Jahre Kolumbustag, 500 Jahre Vertreibung, Versklavung und Völkermord. In den Amerikas und in Asien und in Afrika. Ein Drittel der Welt vereinigt sich gegen die anderen zwei Drittel. Im Rhythmus von Rassismus, Sexismus und Antisemitismus wollen sie uns isolieren, unsere Geschichte ausradieren oder bis zur Unkenntlichkeit mystifizieren. Es ist ein Blues in Schwarz-Weiß. Es ist ein Blues. Doch wir wissen Bescheid. Wir wissen Bescheid. Ein Drittel der Menschheit feiert in Weiß. Zwei Drittel der Menschheit macht nicht mit. You just heard spoken word poetess Savannah Seafull reading Maya Yim's Blues in Schwarz-Weiß or Blues in Black and White, first published in 1995. For this episode, I'm in conversation with Savannah and we talked more about her reading of Maya Yim's poem as well as her own poetry. This episode especially focuses on the long-term decolonial and anti-racist activism surrounding renaming contested street names in Berlin. Savannah recently read Maya Yim's Blues in Schwarzweiß during a day of action called 
Decoloniales Flanieren, or Decolonial Flanua, which was organized as a critical walking tour to bring attention to Imstrasse or M Street in Berlin, which activists for decades have been demanding to be changed due to its explicit anti-black racist language. I'm really grateful to have been able to include this recording of Savannah reading Maya Ying's Blues and Schwarzweiß, and a special thanks to Michael Westrich for the recording. Welcome to Decolonization in Action, a podcast that considers how knowledge, medicine, science, and the arts are being decolonized today. My name is Christina Comer, and I'm broadcasting from Berlin, Germany. This podcast is hosted by the Max Planck Institute for the History of Science. If you like what you hear, please rate, comment, and share our episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. This episode opened with Savannah Siefel reading Maya Ying's poem titled Blues and Schwarzweiß. I started my conversation with Savannah outside in the district of Moabit. In an effort of mutual care, we met alongside the canal. And because we recorded outside, there is background noise, but I hope it doesn't distract from the conversation we had. I started this conversation by first asking Savannah to introduce herself and to talk more about her poetry. Thank you for having me. It's a really amazing experience. <laughs> and I'm very happy to be here today. So uh, my name is Savannah Siefel. I'm a Berliner. I'm 24 years old and I study Area Studies Africa Asia at the Humboldt University currently. And yeah, I started doing poetry last year performance-wise, but have been writing for a bit longer. So yeah, that's me being a student in Berlin. So what I'm writing is a spoken word poetry, as I call it, because I usually have kind of a poem structure to my poems, but I also perform them or started to perform them this year and last year. Now also with more performance, before I was more reading this year, I started to try to use my body more. And yeah, so other things I only write privately, so the content of my poetry is usually my personal life, stories from my life as a black woman in Berlin. And so it also contains some stories about racism, about certain structures in society, but also <laughs> very deep and personal private emotions. Yeah, for example, concerned talking about depression or sadness, heartbreak, very different different things, or just experiences as living in Berlin. And yeah, situations have shaped me. Usually I feel like reading my poetry is like reading my diary. <laughs> so that's also like how I write. Always when there's a very strong emotion, I basically just start writing about it. So it's also like stories of my life I share. Here I asked Savannah about the experience of performing her work. In the beginning it was very scary. I haven't, I have only been performing for a year now, a bit more than a year. So <laughs> I guess I'm still in the process of kind of finding out what's still to come and where I can go and what is possible actually. Recently starting, having started using my body language, which changed everything really. And also attending workshops to just kind of work on my skills. But it's usually very emotional after my performances. 
and also very exciting like to prepare my poems, pick the right ones. I had quite a few performances already where I got invited to events, so that was really exciting. But also, yeah, it always gets very emotional, especially towards the end of the poems, because um, it's basically always reliving what I've written. But also beautiful just to see how the audience reacts and like I don't expect it, but when people come toward me, let me know and share how they experienced my work and see that people also can connect to it, like what I write and maybe also get you to think about their own personal stories or experiences. That's actually the greatest gift I can get out of it. So that's actually also why I continue because it's just an amazing feeling to to be able to share your own thoughts and yeah, then also having people being able to connect to it. What has influenced your writing? And you're just describing this connection you have with your audience. Do you think about who you're writing for? Or does that happen later or change? Since I usually start writing from an impulse, I don't necessarily, usually I don't think about who I'm writing for. Because since I said it's like sharing diary entrances, I guess the first impulse is writing for myself kind of putting my feelings into words in that very moment and then discovering when the poem is done who I actually wrote it for or what, what came out of it, like what the words had shaped. So then of course for performances I pick certain poems but then I pick them for the audience. I think that might be there. Yeah, but you also ask who or what inspired me to start writing, right? It was <laughs> actually Maya Yim because she was kind of from the very start part of my story, my life story, and always very present in my life since I have a connection to her personal stories through my mom and friends she had. They didn't know each other that much very in person, but they shared the same friends, went to the same events. So my life basically began a few weeks after I was born, attending a ceremony after my Yim's death. So that is, I guess, the story that was carried throughout my childhood and we always had a book of hers. So I wrote diary entrances first and at some point they just shaped into poetry. <laughs> so this is kind of what got me writing because I was also pretty amazed by the fact that there was a black female writer in Germany being German, Afro-German. Yeah, that could, could do that with words and also being part of workshops of the Jolly Bar that was founded by Katharina Ogunchoye, which taught me a lot and kind of, yeah, was part of my journey being a young girl growing into a um, black woman in Berlin. That was all of the experiences, uh, which also gave me a lot of access to the, the arts in the community, in the black community in Berlin. So I guess this is also what got me writing because I just got to get all of these impulses and examples of BPUC in Berlin actually yeah, doing it, enjoying it and having spaces. And then performing I started because I actually noticed there are spaces <laughs> that are kind of safe spaces for BPUC and people of color sharing content that is yeah, personal and also political, but also both at the same time because I guess that is the most difficult to share. <laughs> yeah, so when I noticed that, I decided to also perform. 
but before that I was actually only writing for myself. So I noticed that like maybe in 2018 when I started also attending as part of the audience these events. Yeah, I guess that is kind of summarized. And I've always loved writing. So I guess I just had to find what kind of writing really gives me the, the best option to, to let everything out I need to say. And I want to say, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very thankful actually that now there are spaces that actually want me performing and have me performing. Here I asked Savannah Moore about Jo Libba and other workshops she attended that support black writers and especially black German writers and more about those spaces led by and for black writers where she has performed. So I can maybe start just with the ones I, I've been visiting in the very beginning, which also kind of inspired me or showed me that it's actually possible for me, even if I'm started, to, to contribute at an or to perform at an open stage, which is still a safe place, space, even though it's an open stage, <laughs> which is still scary. So um, that would have been Poetry Meets, the Poetry Meets series by Jumi and the event by Laya. I think it's One World Poetry. I should I still will look it up and give you the name, the right name. And then as well, there's an event by Naniso. It's called, let me think for a second. One of it is a poetry slam, which I recently attended. And I never knew that there were slams, which were also actually kind of safe spaces because I always felt like poetry needs to be happy. Poetry needs to be something very cheerful and entertaining. Um, that's why I never tried to, to perform and share my work. And uh, also at that slam I noticed, oh, it doesn't have to be. It actually is, they want it to be political. And also it can be serious if you want to have it serious. Yeah, so that would be his, his slam, Wicked, Wicked Slam it's called. And the other one, I'll look it up and give you the address. So these were the first events where I went. And then also, I think there were some nights by Eoto as well. Yeah, but these were the main, main ones where I always went. And then there's also the poetry comedy show, which also gives space. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I'll include all of these in the show notes our listeners as well. To expand our conversation on poetry, I wanted to now turn to black feminist poet, essayist, and activist Audre Lorde, who from 1984 to 1992 regularly visited Berlin and worked closely with Maya and so poetically describes poetry as, poetry is the most subversive use of language that there is because it attempts to bring about change by altering people's feelings. This quotation is from the documentary film, Audre Lorde's Berlin Years, which I'll also include in the show notes. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Savannah, what does writing poetry mean to you? And how do you envision its impact on your readers? What I hope that my poetry does is for sure, um, of course, usually or very often, my poems are dealing with more difficult topics or heavier topics, not necessarily difficult, but <laughs> not that joyful topics. And I hope I still manage to, to give the message and create pictures that might be challenging and might be maybe also saddening. But in the end of the day, 
um, that it comes clear there's like we need to look forward and there's still hope there's hope to change things so for my work to to maybe be a motivation to to contribute or to be part of changing things or reflecting on things even if it's like a very personal poem that might maybe also tell a story somebody in the audience has and they might be able to yeah use that and see oh i'm not alone in this situation or oh this is how this person dealt with it or oh i can actually also put it in words or there it's put in words somewhere it's not only inside me this kind of feelings so yeah and i hope that the pictures i write down actually carry on in in, in my audience's imagination <laughs> that is actually the most amazing thing if that happens and people tell me that it worked because yeah i guess that's also kind of the sense in putting it or the the reason why i put it into words because i hope people can kind of also relive it the way i i lived through all of these emotions and thoughts yeah and just sharing it maybe on a level where i feel like i can in a very different but for me more easy way also connect connect my thoughts to emotions and make them more visible and more greifbar for people. <laughs> Sorry to switch to German. At this point in the conversation, we began to talk about Decoloniales Flanieren or Decolonia Flanua, which took place in Berlin on August 21st, 2020. To give more context, Decoloniales Flanieren was organized by the Initiative Anton Wilhelm Amostrasse, or in English, the Neighborhood Initiative for Anton Wilhelm Amo Street. This critical walking tour and day of action was led by students, scholars, and professors at the Institute for European Ethnology at Humboldt University, and aimed to establish a broad coalition with activists, artists, ESD, which is the Initiative Schwarze Menschen in Deutschland, or translated in English, the Initiative of Black People in Germany, as well as with Savi Contemporary in Berlin. De Colonialis Flanieren did not only draw attention to the racist street name and mobilize critical reflection and demands to change it, but it also aimed to recover and celebrate histories of Black Africans in Germany, such as Anton Wilhelm Amel, who was an 18th century philosopher, professor, jurist, and poet. Amo was the first Black African to be a professor at a German university, at both University of Halle and University of Jena, after earning his doctorate at the University of Wittenberg. Activists, artists, and historians also drew attention to Amo's immense intellectual and philosophical contributions, along with his anti-slavery writings, based on his extensive research into the history of German law, and also that he was forced into slavery himself after being kidnapped as a child from Guinea, present-day Ghana. In addition to Anton Wilhelm Amel, students and artists honored the legacies and artistry of Afro-Germans, especially Afro-German women, such as Afro-German anti-fascist activist, songwriter, musician, Fazia Janssen, and Afro-German poet, feminist, activist, Maya Yim. Given that M Street runs in front of Humboldt University, 
specifically where the European Ethnology Department is located, students, professors, scholars, and the local community took action in coordination with long-term activism led by ESD, Each One Teach One, Berlin Postcolonial, and the recently formed coalition called Decolonize Berlin. In the show notes, please find links to all organizations involved in Decoloniales Flanieren, as well as a short bibliography. Now coming back to my conversation with Savannah. So you're just describing performing your own work and actually even when sharing not very joyful content creates an atmosphere of joy that you're offering through your work. I wanted to come back to what the experience must have been like to read Maya Yin. Um, so I first wanted to ask, in, in the context of Decoloniales Planieren, what was it like to first be asked uh, to read a poem by Maya Yin, and what was it like to perform it? And if you could share which poem you also read. Um, yeah, of course I can share that. I read so Blues and Schwarz-Weiß by Maya Yin which uh, was actually because I, I didn't pick it myself. I was asked in the first place, which really felt like an honor to me because it was one of my, my small dreams coming true because I had that strong connection to her as a poetess and just as kind of an idol in the black community in Berlin and also being so very close to my own life that yeah, it was like actually a dream coming true for me. And very unexpectedly, it was through Irene, that is part of the Nachbarschaftsinitiative, and also organized and uh, was doing the moderating part of that event. So yeah, I was very excited, but also in the first few seconds a bit insecure, should I do it? Because it's a very big deal, especially in that kind of context. Um, but then, no, I just felt honored and, yeah, was also very, very excited about it and motivated to do it and try my best <laughs> to um, form her poem also in honor to her, of course, because it was also the months where she took her life, so it was, for me, it was a bigger thing. So, yeah, then, then it was basically, <laughs> I didn't know which poem it would be, then I got told and I was a bit shocked <laughs> because I thought also performance-wise and content-wise this was is, or is one of the harder ones I knew from her because of the message as well and the rhythm of it all and the kind of words she picked and um, how it is structured. So <laughs> I was a bit shocked first, but then I was very happy to get the chance to actually try it and I was very overwhelmed when I was performing. I didn't expect it, I expected it to be become emotional and but but I was I was really overwhelmed and but also very happy because that poem has that kind of energy of of being or communicating her anger about the situation but um, also stating facts and making it also visible to an audience that is actually not really or maybe doesn't know about that part of the history, the German history. And yeah, and also because it's it's the history of my city. So it was like an <laughs> a big package coming with that poem. But it was amazing. It was really amazing. I was even the hour after I performed I was still kind of shaking and <laughs> needed my time to, to um deal with all of the emotions coming up and also the weight of the words and the feeling the words created 
and especially in that kind of a, also like political situation and um, event and also with the renaming of the street just having happened and us just being informed about it so it was yeah it also felt like kind of very special and also kind of historic moment so yeah but I, I enjoyed it to the bits <laughs> it was very intense though yeah but that is kind of how I experienced it and like what it meant to me and yeah especially because of just just the words she chose because I think the poem is around two to three minutes long which is still quite long but for what she's saying I feel like it could have been longer and this made it actually even more intense to to perform it and also with the kind of pressure I made myself or created for myself to really <laughs> honor this situation in the right way but yeah I was happy with how it went and still overwhelmed that it happened. <laughs> I wanted to ask, was there a certain line or a certain word or a certain part of the poem that maybe in preparation or during the reading or after that sort of stays with you especially? Or is a poem, can a poem not really be taken apart like that? Um, I mean, it, you, one can take it apart. This, of course, then also kind of changes the poem, for sure. But, of course, since I also didn't learn it by heart, but read it from the paper, but still tried to, to prepare my performance in a way that I just needed the paper as a support, I wasn't performing by heart. There's now, thinking back, of course, keywords or key lines that pop up in my head when you ask me, uh, which were maybe the most emotional lines or impressive lines just maybe because also like of the process of preparing it maybe that were the lines which were more hard for me to 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 find out okay in which kind of way do I want to present these words what kind of met message wanted my actually to to give through these words and what kind of message do I want to to give to the audience not kind of going too far away from what she might have intended with her words so, for example, that line, Sie feiern in intimum Kreis, something similar to that, basically talking about the Wiedervereinigung, the reuniting of the both east and west of Berlin, uh, was basically a celebration only for, for the white parts and the not marginalized parts of the Berlin and German society, and also the reuniting of Germany. So, and this, this word that it was like in kind of, is it in English intimate situation? Because it was only white and supposed to be only white and that like the, the rest of the society that is also or might identify as German as well couldn't be part of it. That, that description of it being something intimate that was something that actually is still on my mind, that line. And also how she used numbers in her poem, like also in the written text, she didn't put them into words, she really used numbers, which also kind of, for example, her saying one third of the world is celebrating in white and two thirds of the world is mourning in black, which is so heavy and so intense. And at the same time, also seeing these numbers actually makes, makes the extent of that whole <laughs> sentence more visible in a very different way, because 
yeah, just just seeing this this written down two thirds, one third, and then the description of mourning and celebrating and combining it with the colors, which can also be related to skin colors. So there was like a lot of of, of thinking of how to to use my voice and my words as well <laughs> um, in the preparational process, which made it actually also something very special because it was kind of a different challenge. So yeah. Yeah, these are kind of some of the words or kind of her listing up certain things like she was saying und in den Amerikas und in Asien und in Afrika which is kind of a repetition because of the end and then so you have to really look at it not making it too boring because it repeats but just enforcing what it actually means these kind of things are still kind of <laughs> back in my memory uh, yeah yeah, how she also very boldly just, just put the word out there, Völkermord, which is very brave because I'm very sure this kind of poem she wrote actually also upset a lot of people because it was so direct. So this is actually also one of the words I gave a bit of more space during my performance because I felt like, okay, people really need to feel as well what she's saying there because I, of course, being a bit more into the black history and also studying area studies Africa Asia, I instantly had to think of Namibia. So others might not because they might have never heard of it before, which is sad but also happens. <laughs> but then just giving it some more weight so people might even be more interested to maybe yeah look it up, research on it, or just be aware of the fact that there was also more to the history of Germany in the context of the African continent and its colonies where Völkermord was a very heavy part of the history. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so much about the experience and preparation and you know, just different parts of the poem that you, in, in conversation today, were moments of the poem you gave a certain time and space and emotion to me. And I think and for our non-German speaking listeners, Volkermord is genocide and Germany still has not recognized the genocide in the There have been quasi-apologies with no reparations, restitution, or any form of official acknowledgement. So I think reading that really fully giving space to the level of, of colonial violence and how it is ongoing because the German state continues to try to erase that. Um, I think that makes reading Maya Yin's poem even more relevant. It must have been very difficult to read. And thank you for letting us include your reading of that poem in the podcast. And I encourage our listeners to listen to it again. <laughs> um, I actually want to ask more about reading the poem and what was the significance and impact reading this particular poem by Maya Yin in front of the Bundesjustizministerium, which in English translates to the Federal Ministry of Justice, which is located on M Street and is in front of an art installation by artist Ulrich Schröder 
entitled Verkundung der Reisefreiheit, or in English, Announcement of Freedom to Travel. What was it like to read the poem there, and why do you think that location was chosen? It was actually a very interesting location for that poem as well because of having the installation behind me which also has keywords listed up which I can't remember right now but they kind of also symbolize the unification of Germany and how, how now like a more progressive time starts and things will be different and how there has change happened so and then also standing in front of that ministry at the same time which is the Ministry of Justice yeah, made it a quite also intense situation because this poem actually reflects on a lot of things of German and Berlin history which haven't changed too much up to now. So, for example, looking at racism and how black people... I'm not talking about black people because I'm a black person and I identify as black. So I'm talking from my experience as though not accepted in a lot of ways as being German, even if they were socialized here, grew up here, might even have a German parent. So these are things my aim is commenting on and kind of not giving them the right to be part of the society they were actually raised and grew up in or identify with. So just wondering where's the justice in that, people being part of the society and identifying as a part of it and yeah not not being unable to to feel as such or having to fight for it still and then so many others which should have the right to be part of our society and um, especially looking at German history should should be able to have the chance to to make use of that freedom of <laughs> traveling and uh, changing location and becoming part of a society which they can imagine being part of and would basically do anything to be part of is still seems still something very impossible these days so yeah it made it very intense standing also in front of that installation which was i think also introduced around that time i think of the wiedervereinigung i'm not sure right now yeah because the poem kind of relates to it quite directly yeah, and also because even though I went to school in Germany, I never knew about that installation, which was Oscar first for me to see it actually. So yeah, it was very interesting connecting to that whole scenery in that kind of way. And yeah, also kind of highlighted certain parts of the poem differently than I had looked at them before. I also relate to what you were saying of not knowing about that installation. I'm an art history student. We also, and I study at Humboldt University, mm -hmm. and we've never discussed this, not only this artist, this particular inst installation, but addressed even where the campus of Humboldt University is, and specifically about the Humboldt Forum as this new museum that's being built. So this kind of, how the university itself is, is also, as an academic institution, is actively trying to erase a history and sustain a certain idea of what Germany is after uh, reunification. And I just, I just wanted to share, um, I've experienced sort of, when I was preparing for this interview, this, who's this artist? And 
how there was a vetiver and why was this artist chosen? And a question I have that I can't answer is what other artists had submitted a piece to the for this particular call because the way in which it was executed seems to simulate a press room, um, but it's actually not documentary. There are chairs that were made later. It's not actually a very accurate uh, reconstruction. And I'd be very interested in knowing what, what other artists, how would you commemorate the reunification of Germany? And why was that artwork chosen? And why is it still there? So and thinking about 30 years after the Berlin Wall has was taken down, why not invite another artist to do a, an artwork there? So it's what gets commemorated, how it gets commemorated, who's invited to even make that artwork. So thinking about Maya Dean's poem, she's encouraging this sort of reflection of who gets to celebrate and who is excluded and who's joyful on this day actually so I think we see these structures you know even in that site you know in, in many different ways so I think activating that by reading such a complex poem by Miami activates so many different levels we were just talking about studying at Humboldt University as a student what has been your experience at the university and in the education system in general growing up in Berlin? And I also wanted to ask, to what extent are Afro-German writers and poets teaching, being read and discussed? How are Afro-German students being uplifted and supported? With Maya Yin's reflection on colonial history, you know, how, how has colonial history or black history been included or actively excluded? education system and your experience in Berlin? What my first thought always is, is my school education, because for me it actually already started there. For me feeling like there's parts of my own history also as a German person missing because I'm a black German person, so it actually felt like it was not, not present, except from maybe one and a half pages in a history book talking about slave trade and what was traded and who was traded. So that was my full school experience when it came to that. And I was lucky enough to be able to contribute at workshops and also events about black history organized, for example, by Katharina Ogontroje, now in my later age or more recent in the recent in the last years I also went to events from EOTO and other black organized <laughs> groups. And so this is actually what was completely missing in my school education. So I was actually pretty lucky that my mom actually made sure and looked for, for events and workshops and groups like that for me to get that really very important edu kind of education so I could actually identify with German history as well as a black person because what was taught in school I couldn't really identify with and I've talked to a lot of other people and also BPOC, PUC and they basically say the same. They couldn't really, maybe there were one or two lucky ones who had really interested teachers that actually made it a topic 
but yeah, through my whole school life at least, what I've also heard from others, it's not present, like works and writings of BPOC are for Germans, they just don't get included into what you're studying or learning and I mean I'm very lucky at my institute and I guess also the year that I started and the people I've met so I had have a very positive experience of course with all of its flaws because it's still <laughs> a white system in, in in Germany and actually only white professors and sometimes we get professors from abroad but still there's not a lot of representation of black people or people of color talking about the histories of the continents or the areas where they might have their roots or they might be on a different level be able to connect to the history and maybe also give different input so when it came to to literature I think I was very lucky because a lot of professors tried to actually put a focus on having literature at least some literature by black people of color or people of color as part of the seminars but still of course it could always be more and also especially looking at the Afro-German movement and the black German movement there was only one excerpt of Greta Kilomba's work I can remember in my study time I had to read or I, I had the chance to read as part of a seminar so yeah, it's still very focused, even though it's a university and a faculty in Berlin, it's still very focused on, on works from abroad and yeah, yeah, knowledge from abroad. And um, that, that would be great and that would, in the future, in the near future would be also included. But I think what I've heard from others studying in different faculties, different things, it must be way harder. <laughs> I always feel very lucky when I hear their stories about what kind of content they have or they don't have and what kind of experiences they have with professors and in the whole system itself. Looking at that, I, I was simply pretty lucky as well because in the year that I started in the faculty there were a lot of, compared, a lot of BPOCs also starting that area studies. So we actually had each other also to, to talk and discuss about certain things and relate to certain things and also empower each other. That, are, that is just an example for how it's actually <laughs> not easy going through the educational system in Germany because, and I, I don't want to imagine it how it might be in other cities. I grew up in Berlin, so my whole education is or the, all of the system I, I went through were in Berlin, like all of the schools and yeah, experience I've made is from here except from maybe years abroad. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all very sad that it's still like that today. And it's, it's not actually new topics, like you've also said the topic of German, German history in Namibia has been discussed for so many years and there's no progress. It doesn't get attention because maybe it's not interesting enough for people in power, I don't know. But that's also what, what happens when it comes to the educational system. These are topics which would be actually very important also for everyone else because it is history that is important and that just kind of gets, gets not looked at at all, which would actually kind of 
broaden everyone's horizon and give everyone new possibilities of and ideas maybe as well of continuing with their own works so it 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 would for sure also be enriching for not only the black and poc communities and yeah it's in the first place very important <laughs> to finally re reflect on all of that and start the work it could be so little steps just maybe ex like expanding what you get taught in school about the African continent and not even the African continent but maybe black history in Berlin it doesn't even need to be the whole of Germany because there's already enough for a few sessions in school for Berlin and I mean there are people that are already in that topic deep in that topic and actually also have personal experiences they want to share so everything there just needs to be made part of the educational system so that is kind of my experience at the end of our conversation savannah offered to read another poem by maya yim deck in action host edna bonhomme also offered to read one of her poems titled four mothers for this episode a special thanks to Savannah for contributing another reading of a poem by Maya Yim for this episode. A special thanks also to Edna for contributing her poetry and for offering to read and record her poem for this episode. The poem I picked for ending this interview is called Exotic. It's also by Maya Yim. If you translate the title, it would be exoticism. So the reason why I picked this poem is, even though it's a very short one, only consisting of five lines, the last line only is like three words long, but um, it is very intense to me. It has a very intense way of displaying black experience in Germany. And I also feel like it might be a very personal poem by Maya Yim, but also for me, it is talking about personal experiences I had. So the great thing about this poem is it actually plays with the German language. And if you <laughs> look at structures of racism, uh, which can be, or which are very complex, and you can find them everywhere, right? This poem is actually also kind of displaying also while looking at the words and sayings in German she used that um, structures of racism also go as far as into the language and these words she's been using and the sayings she's been using in the poem are still things that are being used by German people nowadays even by teachers in school so yeah, so she used these sayings, which have a very negative view on blackness and, yeah, the dark skin color making you different, basically, in a very indirect way. But if you look at the history of the words and listen to them closely, right, as a black person, as at least me, I feel what is actually meant by it. And, yeah. There's also, one can actually also read up on certain words she's been using. 
so and sayings she's been using. So um, that is actually also like the finesse of this poem, I feel, even though it's very short, she's yeah playing with the words of the German language, displaying blackness, but then also talking at the same time about her own experience as a black person and kind of also saying after they have put her into a bad light and made her life made life hard they told her to not be that negative if you would sum it up in a very very plain way so but using these sayings and words it it actually becomes clear she talks about being black and what comes to being black in a white society yeah so this is actually a very very intense and short poem but also very very intelligent one in my eyes so yeah it also sums up my personal experience being german and black that's why i picked it and i hope everyone who speaks german can enjoy it and it's to me it's a still very relevant one because these things haven't changed the words are still being used the discussion about these words not being used anymore or that a sensitive kind of sensitivity should be created is still going on and not really taken seriously on a lot of levels so yeah it's a very dear poem to me actually and i hope also the ones not being able to speak german i hope someday there'll be a translation or maybe i can even try to translate it Exotik. Nachdem sie mich erst anschwärzten, zogen sie mich dann durch den Kakao, um mir schließlich weiß machen zu wollen, es sei vollkommen unangebracht, schwarz zu sehen. Mein Name ist Edna Bonham co-host of the Decolonization Action Podcast, and I wanted to share a poem that speaks to my ancestral and current memories. It's entitled, Foremothers. My foremothers safeguard my stride, avoiding the tremor from the earth. We are uprooted and disjointed, honest and disoriented. We are suspended by Oya's whirlwind disguised as birds taking to flight. We're captivated by Ursuli's erotic flare, refreshed by the cool spring flowing down our backs. We are not hidden. We howl at death and keep our soul intact. They whisper into my ears, boasting about their feats and defeats. I poisoned Master Lacroix that one time. I love Jean to die in the fields. I seduce Madame Johnson. Who do you think built the city of Nantes? Have you heard the bellows of enslaved rage? Each one imparted the names of their masters and their lovers, each one different from the next with their flashy eyes. Some wicked, some bastards, all rebellious. Their proverbs are curses and vexes, an extension of their wide mouth and tuneful lips. They are ordained by the goddess Yamaya, crying for their children, tears soaking the earth. 
These women were never praised for their pride. Rather, they were punished for telling lies and their thick African thighs. They dreamt of places that were not meant for them, procuring the strange fruit of an empire that enslaved them. Their secret is arrested by the despondent world, and it is carried in their bones of their many children and their children. Christine Monette, Asefi Miloya, Nozella Jacqueline Mouliette, Christina Joanna, and also the names I never learned, could never learn, because our terrain is cracked. Thank you, and I hope that this poem could show you how I've understood ideas about memory and creativity. My name is Christina Comer, and you are listening to the Decolonization Action Podcast. I would like to express my deepest gratitude to Deccan Action host Edna Bonhomme for creating, sustaining, and pushing the podcast forward, as well as contributing a poem to this episode. A special thanks to Savannah Sifel and all the organizers of Decolonialis Flanieren, including Dwayne Jethro, Adela Talib, Regina Rumhild, and a special thanks to Michael Westrich for sharing the recording of Savannah reading Maya Yim's Blues and Schwarzweiß at Decolonialis Flanieren. As always, there is a list of references and a bibliography in the show notes. To learn more about the podcast or to find out more information about the people and events referenced in this episode, please visit www.decolonizationinaction.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Deck in Action. If you like what you hear, rate, comment, and share our episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Thanks for joining us.